Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Well, how many of you use uh, Dr. Google to diagnose yourself? Be honest, put your hand up. Okay. Where you start, you know, where your knee is sore and you're like, whoa, that little twitch, I don't know what that is. I've discovered this part, though, that sometimes it's just because you're getting old when you wake up and you just hurt for no reason. You can't think of a reason why. But sometimes you start to search and you're like, oh, that's not there. And so you start Googling and you start hitting links. And soon you find out that you have a terrible tropical disease, which you will die from by Friday if you don't get medical intervention right now. How many of you have ever got there and you're like, whoa, pull myself out. That's a, not, not a good thing. But we do that all the time and we're, there's so much information available. Uh, oh, also, my, uh, our daughter, Annika, is here this morning from, visiting from the United States of America. And Dalton is here too. We're pumped by that. And Dalton's parents are here uh, with them as well. We just had a little bit of, because of COVID, we haven't been able to really celebrate. So we did a little bit of celebrating their marriage, which happened 404 days ago uh, at the border. And Annika has been a refugee in America for all this time. And I'm pleased to report she's doing well. So uh, I don't know what I was talking about. Oh, yes. My son-in-law yesterday said this to me. He said, there is a master class website. I was like, what do you mean? It's a master class. People who are experts in things teach you how to do things better. And he started to talk to me about sleep. I don't know what that was about. Like, do I look? Like, is there something wrong? But if you wanted to know, for example, how to cook better, you can go on and sign up for this master class. I found out why he was talking to me about it because he wants me to help pay for it. But there's a copious amounts of money that you can pay if you wanted to learn how to cook better. Gordon Ramsay can cook, help you learn how to cook better. He probably could also teach you how to swear worse, but don't do that part. Or if you wanted to learn how a business could run, Howard Schultz, who started C, uh, is a CEO of Starbucks, is on there and can offer you a class. So there's all this stuff. And I was looking on it this morning uh, to see if I would sign up, but no, I'm not going to, Dalton. You pay it yourself. That's the way it is. Uh, but there's so much information out there right now. So much information. And in fact, there are 4 million plus YouTube videos being watched every minute. Every day, over 5 billion searches are made for various things. Like, do I have a tropical disease in my knee? Those kind of things. Like, there's so much information. Yet, with all the information that's out there and available, we see that we are doing worse and worse as a culture and as a society. So many spaces and places where things are just absolutely in chaos and disorder. And we have some real, real deep problems in our world and in our, and in our lives personal issues that the people around us might have no issue or no awareness of, but we're well aware of them, what's going on behind the scenes in our, or behind in our own thinking and behind the scenes in our own home, our inner battles with anxiety or discouragement or frustration or, or an, an addiction issue uh, to pornography that, that you're hiding very, very well or so you think. Whatever those issues are, we have stuff going on inside of us, personal issues. Then we have the interpersonal ones. 
And these ones as well, we keep hidden really, really well until for me, there's somebody in front of me at the left turn lane and they're on their phone and I missed the green arrow because of them. And then what's in me comes out of me. Bless you in the name of Jesus, my son. We're praying for me. But what's the pressure around us sometimes comes and starts to affect our relationships in our families, in our workplaces, in our homes, uh, uh, and the people close to us. It's there, interpersonal and personal. And then there's the cultural problems that we see all around us. And you could, we could all have our list of them, the political tribalism that we see in, in, our, in our world, really. I don't know if you saw yesterday or on Friday, there was a British MP that was simply meeting with his constituents, as he did regularly on Fridays. And uh, somebody attacked him and stabbed him to death, 69 years old. And I was reading an article on, about it, and it talked about that that potential lies within our nation because of the increased hostility that we have to people who don't think the same or believe the same around different issues that are, are areas where we can, we're able to believe differently. And then you see increasing pressure to conform to certain ways of thinking on issues or risk being canceled by the prevailing culture on, on a myriad of issues. We saw even this week, uh, if you follow the NFL, uh, a, a coach of uh, Dalton's father's best team, the Las Vegas Raiders, who was fired from his job because of comments that he made that were absolutely inappropriate 10 years ago. So there's all this stuff going on in our world around us, and there's more information than ever. And how do we deal with the chaos that's in us, the chaos that's between us, and the chaos that's around us, and not the chaos around us getting into our own hearts? I think we need a master class, all right, but a master class on life, a master class on how to, to relate to one another and I would count myself in the middle of that, a master class on how to live life and how to, to be who Jesus is called if you're a Jesus follower in the world. And two weeks ago, we were talking about following Jesus and what that meant and used these four words to follow Jesus whenever, wherever, however, forever, that that would be the way that we would live our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, you may as well do it and follow him. Whenever, wherever, however, forever Be because Jesus in the middle of that where that invitation to follow him it wasn't an easy time in history it wasn't they lived under the oppression of a Roman government that hated anybody who stepped outside of the line line and when they talk about cancel culture they canceled you on a cross they were they would that you were brutalized tortured, however it would be if you did not comply. Persecuted uh, is, is a whole nother level. They lived in a world where pedophilia was normalized and celebrated. They lived in a world, Jesus was saying, follow me in a world where slaves at some points in, in the empire of Rome outnumbered free people. It was terrible. And in the middle of that mess, Jesus inserted himself and said to some people on the shores of a lake in a, at that time, a backward Roman colony called Judea and said, follow me. With this crazy, audacious idea that they would not only be changed, but they would help to change the world. What an incredible thought for people who live in 2021 
We have all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems and all kinds of things going wrong. But that we would, with the same way that the disciples responded to Jesus, to his invitation in a world gone crazy, say, follow me. And believe that something could shift in us and through us. Acts 10.38, despite the chaos around him, this is how Jesus worked. He said that God anointed Jesus with the... I was just pushing up my glasses. I just realized that. It's like, what am I doing? It was like, nothing there. Sorry. Okay, back to the text. Acts 10 and 38, yes. It's all what's going on. The little squirrel is like running hard right now on that... God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good. Somebody say good. And healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Think about that. Don't we need to see more of the goodness of God in our world? Don't we need to see more healing of physical bodies, of emotional trauma, of people who have been abused and then don't know which way to go, of family relationships, of, of interpersonal relationships, I think we need to see some more healing. We need to see more oppression broken, oppression of the poor, oppression of of people of different cultures, oppression of of Christians, oppression of any people of faith, oppression by the government in whatever its form. Jesus was anointed by and filled with the Holy Spirit and power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And in 2021, the mandate of Jesus has not changed. That we would be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and power and go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. That the mandate of heaven still exists for students today. Students who are growing up in a world that is radically different than if you were, if you're my age, 50 and over, the world today is incredibly different than it was when you grew up. And that's not a comment on better or worse. It's simply there more and more we have to come back to the place where we're following Jesus in the middle of a world gone crazy or we may not be what God's called us to be and we may not make the impact that Jesus has called us to make in our homes, in our lives, through our lives. See, Jesus won us. Uh, he said this to, fo- to those that follow him. In this world, you will have trouble. Can anybody say amen to that? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus wants us to know that we will have trouble. We will have times where we have relational trouble. We will have times where we have physical trouble. We'll have times where we might have marital trouble or financial trouble or whatever trouble from your past, trouble that you're experiencing in the presence. But in the middle of it all, he says, don't don't worry about that. He said, take heart, Take heart. Somebody just do that. Say, I'm going to take heart this morning. Take heart because I have overcome the world. I overcome the pain that you've experienced. I've come to overcome the abuse. I've come to overcome the label. I've come to overcome the brokenness. I've come to overcome your past. I've come to overcome what people have said about you. I've come to overcome the addiction that you've been under. Wherever you're at in the moment, Jesus says, take heart that I have overcome the world. I've come to overcome what's been against you. I've come to overcome what's inside of you. I've come to overcome the world around you. I have overcome. And then just a little later in John 17, Jesus says to his followers, he says this, again he said, 
Why do you think he had to say it again? Because sometimes we don't get it. We forget. Again, he said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you and me. Jesus wants to do a work in you because he wants to do a work through you. When you come to know him, it's not just for you, although it is certainly for you, but it's more than that. It's for the world around you. Jesus wants to continue to lead your life today. He wants you to experience his goodness. He wants you to experience his love. He wants you to experience his power. He wants to, you, you to experience his grace. He wants you to experience his presence in the middle of a dark valley. He wants you to overcome the thing that has been overcoming you. He wants you to experience his peace. He wants you to be filled with his love so that all that we are being changed by Jesus and we join him in changing the world around us. But it's been my experience and maybe yours as well that despite our actions sometimes, that true followers of Jesus want to be changed by Jesus and to be used by Jesus to change the world around them, whether it's their family, their next door neighbor, their friend or their spouse. But I've also experienced that often we don't really know how to follow Jesus well. We read it, follow him. I'll follow you. Where is he? Where's he going? I don't know. And sometimes we put God at a distance. Sometimes it's our view of God where some people would view God as an angry, kind of like a business tycoon in the world with a cigar in his mouth chomping. A bit. I've got planets to, to, to keep in line. I've got uh, protection to do for the global thing, and I've got no time for you. And some people kind of look like, at God like that. Some people look at God more like their butler. I'll ring him when I need him. Ding, ding. Got a little help over here, Jesus. There's more month than money right now. I you know, kind of, could you, could you give me a hand here? Some people look at Jesus like Santa Claus. Once a year, I'll see him, and I just need him to shower. All he does is shower gifts on me. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to spend some time in, show, in showing and talking about how to follow Jesus. We're going to look at some different spiritual practices that I, that I think if embraced will help each and every one of us to experience at a greater measure the, the person and the reality of Jesus in your life. Practices that lead us to experience Jesus, where Jesus can do more in a moment than we could through willpower in a lifetime. Practices that have been the mark of the scriptures, practices that have been the mark of church history that have fueled people to know Jesus, not to know about him, not the God of just the Bible, not the God out there, but the God right here with me, the Emmanuel, God with us in every season, in every situation, where we experience the reality of the presence of Jesus, the reality of reorienting ourselves day by day, the reality of his healing, the reality of knowing his purpose, walking in the reality of spirit gifts beyond Sunday, walking in the reality of marriages being restored, of addicts being set free, of lost people being found, of, of families being transformed, of cities being shifted, of nations being changed. Experiencing Jesus to follow Jesus. 
But where do I, where do we start in some of these practices? And just wanting to be aware of that. Uh, I think we're going to have some devotionals at the back that are going to help to guide you in this process for the next three weeks. And as well, if you want to sign up to get your those devotionals in your email, or if you're online and you say I want those, uh, just email hello at horizonchurch.ca, and we'll make sure that you get that because we want to provide you with an opportunity to practice what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. And uh, I'm going to be a little more teachy than I am normally, um, and uh, and to help us each of us to put into practice what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to experience the reality of Jesus. But where do we start? Joshua 1.8 um, says this, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it. Somebody say meditate. On it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, wouldn't it be foolish to ignore the advice of God on how to be prosperous and successful? He told Joshua, Joshua was, uh, had just assumed the leadership of an entire nation. He had been the, the, the sidekick, the helper of Moses for uh, nearly 40 years. Some people feel that Joseph, or Joseph, Joshua was the one who wrote, uh, as uh, dictated by Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Um, he was under the tutelage of Moses. Moses was the guy, the Red Sea, if you're, if you're old enough, the Charlton Heston, the raising the, then the sea parts and all that kind of stuff. Um, and some feel that, Mo, that um, Joshua was this incredible follower of Moses. But here was his moment where he was stepping into something new that he hadn't led before. And more than ever, he needed to know how to follow. And this phrase was, don't let it depart from your mouth. And why it says depart from your mouth and not from your phone is because they didn't have many written texts. People didn't carry them around, so they memorized them and put them in their hearts and hid them in their hearts. And the first spiritual practice that we're looking at today is meditation. Some of you are like, like this guy? Mm." Like, it's okay, relax. I haven't taken a hard right anywhere like that or left, whatever the case might be. Joshua, though, knew the Bible. He knew God's ways, yet God was calling him to meditate on it. I'm going to tell why that's so important in a moment. Why? So that he could know how to do things the way that God wanted things done, and his life could walk in blessing, and his wife could walk, his life could walk in the fullness of what God's called him to. Because following Jesus means the God of history becomes the God of your reality. Sometimes he's God out there, but he needs to be the God right here in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your stuff, in the middle of the, I don't know what I'm going to do with my kid. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know where where things are at. What's our nation going to do? That the God of history becomes the God of my reality. God's goodness, when we ponder prayer, all all that meditation simply means is when we ponder, prayerfully think about, listen to, chew on, like, Chew on scripture. That doesn't mean like that. I mean, think about it lots. Uh, Chew on scripture on God's goodness, on God's promises, on the scriptures, and it's called meditation, just thinking about it. The Bible says that we need to be really careful what we meditate about. Proverbs 23 and 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, you cannot rise above the level of your thinking. As you think, that's what you are. Proverbs 12, or Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When it's inside of you, it's going to come out of you in your words or in your behavior or in your attitudes or in your actions, and mine included. Many believers try and try, but they just can't change. 
Why? It's usually because they're thinking about the wrong things. What do I mean? What do you mean, Craig? What about meditation? It's a weird thing. We don't do that. Well, first of all, let me talk to the stereotypical man in the audience. If you ask many of the men in this room about a certain sport, whatever their sport is, they will be able to tell you a lot about it. Be able to tell you people, men, when they were injured, if they're playing this Sunday, what their what their over-under is, what's their fantasy if they're a hockey player or whatever it might be, men have an incredible gift to, me- to meditate. All it is is thinking and thinking and thinking and ro- rolling around your mind. We can meditate. And then there's most of us are actually really experts at meditation. We just call it worry. That's what worry is. It's just thinking about... You know, you're thinking about it when you're driving, that issue, that person, that situation. You're rolling around in your mind, oh, this could happen, that could happen. wonder if this is going to happen. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, you're thinking about it when you're doing the dishes. You're think, you might be immersing yourself on endless YouTube searches to find out more information about it. You try to escape it by scrolling through your social media or immersing yourselves in endless sports or work or, or Netflix shows or whatever it might be. It invades your thought as you're trying to go to sleep at night or maybe wakes you up. Many of us recognize this form of meditation, and we know that it affects us our, in our thinking. It affects us in our stomach pain, our sleeplessness, our irritability, our anxiety, our lack of peace, all on things that don't matter. Not that they don't matter, but they're out of order. Let's turn around that same expertise for good. Every one of us has the potential to meditate. And why is it important? Instead of spending time thinking about the bad that has happened to us or might happen to us, we change the object of our meditation. We wake up and put our attention on God. We take time throughout the day to mentally count the blessings. My grandmother used to sing this regular, count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it goes on to say, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. How many of us take time to count what God's doing in us and through us and has done for us more than the things that are happening to us that we don't like? What does it do? as As we immerse ourselves, meditate on the word, it causes personal meaning and application. It becomes dynamic and exciting. Instead of just reading words on a page, we, as we meditate on it, think about it, something pops out to us, that, uh, almost like the words on the page speak to us, to our situation. God, thank you for the wisdom that you're giving me on how to parent right now. Thank you for the place that, that you want to help me with my anxiety right now. And we start to think about and we begin to change the way we think. Meditation changes our perspective. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Stop that kind of meditation. Instead, change your meditation now to pray about everything, tell God what you need, and thank him for what he has done. Wonderful meditation. What happens? Then, everybody say, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. In other words, Your situation may not have changed, but the object of your meditation has changed and suddenly you begin to change from the inside. And in the middle of chaos, you can walk with peace. You can walk with a settledness. You can walk with, 
Does our world need to see that more? Yeah, it does. Meditation is just recounting what God, oh, God, thank you. And it's not just positive thinking. You know, think the right things and, and work hard. at Because what happens in Psalm 100 verse 4 says this, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. It's simply a, a picture to say that as I give thanks, as I meditate on the goodness of God, it's almost like a door pops open into the presence of God. And I begin to set myself in the presence of God. And the things that were once bother me, I begin to get perspective on them, that God is in the middle of it all. God is for me. He's not against me. That no matter what I'm going on, that I'm reminding my that the, the same Jesus who said, hey, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He's still alive today. He's still working on my behalf. He's still moving on in, in my life and for me. And it's something worth to say, wow. And it begins to change my perspective. That person that says that about me is not going to determine my destiny. God is. That situation where I feel like I have no way forward, God's going to help me in the middle of it. Uh, my financial situation, I'm not alone in the middle of it all. God begins to pop things into me, begins to give me ideas, begins to encourage my heart. Wherever it might be, when I get into the presence of God, as I do that and I begin to meditate on who he is, suddenly I begin to experience his presence, and he can begin to lead my life. But most of the time, we sit meditating about all other kinds of things called worry, and we miss out on the reality of following Jesus. Experience his presence, and he can begin to lead our life. The second benefit of meditation is it transforms our behavior and helps to make us successful. Following Jesus is incredible. Romans 12 and 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And more and more, the world's trying to say, this is the only way you're allowed to think. More and more, the world is trying to say, this is the only way you're allowed to believe. This is the only way you're allowed to do this and that. And there's a pattern has always been where the, world, the pattern of the world through the enemy is trying to force you into a mold, not who God's called you to be, but how do you bust out against that mold. He says to be transformed, to go from being like a grub of a bug to being a butterfly by the renewing of your mind. Your character is beginning to be transformed by renewing your mind, meditating on the things of God, thinking about who God is, thinking about his goodness and his kindness. For example, maybe you struggle with a particular issue, maybe anxiety. Here's something you can use Dr. Google for good. Simply putting a Google search, and I did this, scripture verses on anxiety, 1.45 million different searches, uh, uh, web pages available for that. So you put those in, you get some scripture, you write them on a sticky and you put it on your car. Don't read it at the green arrow. Read it, read it not when you're driving. Maybe when you're stopped in traffic and you read it there quickly, put it on your mirror. Have it in your phone as a reminder. Three times a day it comes on and reminds you. And you begin to use the word of God to change your mind. Because the word of God is quick and powerful. It does things that you cannot. It, it begins to shift things in your thinking and your brain. And you begin to think out and begin to become out what God has called you to be all the time. We do that part by changing the way we think. The word works if you work the word. And bring the word into. It might be an issue that you're struggling with. It could be pornography. It could be fear. It could be anxiety. It could be any kind of things. And I tell you, the word of God is going to speak to it. And you begin to put that in and meditate on it day and night. Another helpful suggestion by Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, is it's called Palms Down and Palms Up. 
palms down simply I begin and I put my palm down and I'm taking the, the things that I'm concerned about, the things that I'm worried about. And this is a simple little practice. You can, you turn your palms over like you're releasing them to the Lord. And as you're praying, you're just saying, God, I release this to you. I release that to you. God, I ask you to help me with this. Lord, I'm not sure about that. And you begin to, and, and then when you've released it all, palms down, you turn your palms up and you begin to pray, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you that you're coming into my life in a special way right now. Thank you that you're taking me out of that, that this pit that I've been in. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I just thank you for it. And you begin to turn the page, so to speak, palms down, palms up. Just a simple little thing. Palms down, palms up. Meditate on God. Because following Jesus means the God of history can become the God of your reality. Second spiritual practice, I'm doing two each week, that goes hand in hand with meditation is solitude. And every mom at home with three kids says, yes, Lord, please. <laughs> solitude. And here we go. But I've had tires wear out pre prematurely because they're simply out of alignment. And they wear out much, much sooner. Likewise, we can wear ourselves out when we're out of alignment with Jesus. And solitude helps us to recalibrate and get back in line. Solitude is simply the state of being alone with God to pray, to meditate on his word, and to simply enjoy his presence. It's time where we can acknowledge the interior of our hearts and ask God to speak to where we are. Shh. Lord, just speak to me. I'm going to be quiet and listen. Being alone can be a time of refreshing and rest. You'll see more about that in your devotional book if you want to grab that after the service. Jesus was an incredibly popular figure because he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He was incredibly popular and people wanted his attention. But time and time again, even though he could have spent every waking hour speaking and preaching and teaching, it says that he often withdrew to lonely places or to solitary places. Luke 5, 15 and 16 says the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. We don't do solitude well in our culture. We want to be moving. We want people around. I mean, the introverts in the room, maybe some of us, right? We like that. Um, but one benefit of, see, Jesus, every time before he had a major task, he withdrew for a bit. When he needed to re recharge after hard work, he withdrew for a bit. And when he needed to work through grief, uh, when his cousin John had his head uh, cut off, it says that Jesus withdrew to pray before making an important decision in times of distress to focus on prayer. Jesus used solitude at times. Out, some solitude. And solitude is just a way to acknowledge the interior of our hearts and let God speak. One benefit, another benefit, allows us to refocus on what is really important. It's good even now and then to come away like Jesus and we need to spend the time away from others, away from our cell phones, away from our television shows, away from the daily grind. We don't want the worries of life, as Jesus said, to choke out the word. I'm not talking about having seven hours a day locked in your basement by yourself. I mean, if you're by yourself already, maybe you can do that. I don't know. But for most of us, that's probably unrealistic. But I think for most of us, we could probably find 10 or 15 minutes a day where we just pull aside, quiet ourselves. Lord, speak. I need you. I need you to do a work in my heart. Encourage me. 
correct me, direct me. Turn off the TV, put your phone in the drawer, and just be alone in the presence of Jesus. I have a phraseology that I pick somewhere up, somewhere I'm not even sure where, but a certain time, a certain place, and a certain plan. Like everything in our life that's important, we, we do that. We make a certain time, a certain place, and a certain plan. And for your solitude time, for your time with the Lord, it's important that you do that. Uh, for me, it's, it, it, it's a chair, uh, an Ikea chair in our living room that I get up before anybody else is up. And I just have some time there with my Bible open, my notebook there. And I just, I'm, I'm reading a word and I'm just listening, doing my best to say, Lord, direct me and refresh me. Certain time, a certain place and a certain plan. I pre-decide that I'm getting up to do that in the morning. Some of you are not morning people. Some of you are more night people and you're like, I can't, I'm going to do this at night. I tried that, but I was like always asleep by halfway through the first chapter of the like, but find what works with you. For you, it might be wait, waiting until your spouse comes home uh, and locking yourself away in the bathroom and being able to do it. I know it's, there's a reality of it, but the practice of solitude, though, like every other spiritual practice, can be taken to an unhealthy extreme. It's not a place to live. We're not called to be hermits and cloister ourselves away up on the top of a hill like some guru. But it would make a difference. If as a regular part of our life, we had some solitude, just 10, 15 minutes, if you did that a day, that's kind of built into that booklet that's there. And it's also, you'll see that if you want it online, hello at horizonchurch.ca. There's this story about early African converts to Christianity found time and eagerly participated in private devotions or solitude. It's said that each person had an isolated spot in the thicket where he or she would commune alone with God. In the course of time, their paths to these places became well-worn. Consequently, if one grew lax in their practice, it would soon become apparent to others, and they would lovingly remind the negligent one, brother, the grass on your path grows long. If the weeds have taken over your path, can I encourage you to make some time, carve out some needed solitude, break away, and listen to the gentle whisper of Jesus. Because following Jesus means the God of history becomes the God of your reality. In your life, in your situation, in your family, in your workplace, wherever you are. Because the Bible in itself does not speak to ever eventual, ever, every eventuality. It doesn't tell you where to live or where to work. But Jesus has something to say about that. And when we take away, meditate on his word get away, spend some time in solitude, and just listen to Jesus, we will begin to understand that the God out there is the God in here, and the God that's just been in history or a God in a book suddenly becomes the God of our reality. And he begins to lead our life because Lord knows we need it. I need to be led of the Lord. Our church needs to be led of the Lord. Our families need to be led of the Lord. Our marriages need to be led of the Lord. But it doesn't just happen. And these spiritual practices of meditation, why? So that God can do a work on the inside of me, that he can begin to shift my thinking, begin to help me be prosperous and successful, solitude so that I can actually hear God turn everything off and see what God would do. I want to encourage you to Make time 
grab one of the booklets that are going to be at the back. I invite you to stand to your feet uh, right now. I want to pray for us and pray for you, pray for myself. I think the band might be coming. I'm not sure. I didn't really tell them, so if they're there, if you're coming, come. <laughs> certain time, a certain place, and a certain plan, because the God of history wants to come into your reality and begin to shift things for you. Not just to have a hype, but to have a hope and a future changed by Jesus. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for those watching online. Thank you for those that are right here in the room. Thank you for those that are in Princeton. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you. We, we, we need your help even to follow you, Lord Jesus. We don't want it just to be a something we try to do. We ask for your help in this next few weeks that you begin to shift our thinking. Not only shift our thinking, Lord, shift our relationship with you. May it become deeper and richer as we invest time on a day-to-day -day basis, seeing what you would do. Because you're the God who said, take heart, I have overcome the world. That we would experience the reality of who you are in this season, in this time, in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our nation, in our city. We need you, Jesus. We're not smart enough to do this, Lord. We desperately need your help. We need your help. Maybe you've never known Jesus, asked him to forgive and lead your life. It's very simple. The proverb that Jesus talks about or a, a, a parable where one man who just said these simple words, he was aware of his need for God, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Seven little words. And the Bible says that he went away justified. If you've never done that, you can start your journey today of being a follower of Jesus by just simply saying that. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And let the person you know, or maybe online, let us know that you've done that, made that decision. We want to help you begin your journey with God. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.